I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Friday, June 23rd, 2023, the 884th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple of days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble, all I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So as I think I have mentioned on this show before, or you may be aware of from following me on social media platforms, I am now the Friday co-host of Badlands Daily with my friend Brian, aka CanCon. 
And we go through the headlines of the day and do a little news analysis on the fly and get you ready to start your day informed about the major issues that people will be talking about. I just did that, of course, this morning. I think we actually went over two hours on this morning's show, so we covered a whole bunch of stuff. I am not going to make this show primarily about news today, and I think maybe that'll be a thing on Friday depending on, of course, what's happening in the news cycle. But after doing headlines and news for two hours, if that's what you're looking for today, just go listen to it on Badlands Daily, and you can hear me break down all those stories on there. For today's show, I want to talk about something a little different, and I discussed a concept that I have been thinking about and working on for months and months now. I thought I was going to have this thing written and finished and out there last fall. And then every weekend when I finally get through my schedule of shows for the week, I think, oh, finally, I have a little free time. I don't have to focus on getting a show out during the day. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to finish this writing project. Well, I've been telling myself that every weekend for like the last six months. And while all of that has been incredibly frustrating, as you might imagine, I still do continue to think about the subject and to talk about the subject. I've given different short versions of it on Badland Story Hour to relate it to other subjects we were discussing. And I talked about the concept a bit on Wednesday night's Devolution Power Hour. Our friend Kyle, just human, needed a night off. And so John texted me early on in the episode and was like, hey, do you want to join? And at some point I jumped on and we had a conversation for the rest of the episode. And it was a very interesting conversation about John Durham, about Ukraine, and about what I believe is happening with some of our major corporations and institutions around the world as they begin to collapse under the weight of their own corruption and their own complicity in the 2030 agenda, the World Economic Forum agenda, the agenda of the global governing bodies and the interplay between the corporations, the institutions, the banks, etc., in implementing and instituting this agenda that is meant to end in global domination and the end of human liberty. Now, people are going to hear that and they'll think, well, you're being a little dramatic there. That's not really what they want. Well, I would encourage you to actually examine the agenda for yourself. Think about what it would mean in the real world if they accomplished exactly what they're saying they want to accomplish and then how all of those things having been accomplished might work together and might influence your life in the future. You think it's crazy for me to say the end of human liberty, but what would it be if you have a tracking mechanism, which is currently just your mobile phone, but doesn't have to remain just your mobile phone. Technology advances, you see. It becomes easier and smaller and more convenient. So you wouldn't need a mobile phone to accomplish all the necessary tasks. Let's look back at COVID. What were we told at the beginning of COVID? What we need to do is we need to lock down. To make sure that our lockdowns can be properly enforced, we need to track where people's phones are moving. And they did that. And they told us people are not traveling as much as they used to. Look at this. People are staying home. And then they even gave us 
another bonus on top of that. And they said, because people are staying home and they're not driving as much, we're putting less CO2 into the atmosphere. And this is going to help us save our planet. So everybody is aware of that story. Everybody's aware of how they got the information. They were tracking the phones and people think, well, okay, they were tracking everybody's location. And in the aggregate, what they were looking for was information that doesn't matter to the individual. So I guess we'll just say, yeah, it's a little strange, but we know they do that. It doesn't sound like a big deal in this instance. So let's go ahead and ignore it. And then what else do they want? Well, we were told that the only way to stop a pandemic like this, sure, we could slow the spread and we would hope that the lockdowns would bring down the R naught so that no one would get the disease and eventually it would just fizzle out. The people who have it would recover or they would die, but they would not be spreading it to other people because we were locked down. Now, since the real tricky thing about COVID is that you can have it and you can spread it without knowing, and that's proven by tests that don't work. Well, if you haven't taken a test in time, then you and everybody else should assume that you have COVID and you and everyone else should act appropriately as if you and everyone else do have COVID. Now, some people are really responsible and they get tested all the time. So they know they have COVID. But once we find out that someone has COVID, it would be a really good thing in order to stop COVID. If we could know each and every person that person has been around while they might have had COVID. Now, could they have started having COVID two days ago? Yeah. So we need to know for two days. Could it have been a week? Yeah. So we're going to need to know for a week. Could it have been two weeks or three weeks? Yeah. So we'd better know for then too. And oh, wait, that's right. These tests, when they're used and spun at the cycle threshold, they're being spun at, which is way too high, a level so high that they have a 90 plus percent rate of false positives. If we spin them at that high rate, it turns out that they can detect what we would call viral particles for up to like 12 weeks. So it's possible that that person had COVID at some point within the last 12 weeks, but we better know who they were around for that entire time. Now, the best thing we can do is figure out who was within six feet of their phone because we're told six feet is the proper social distance, even though there's no science that backs up that six feet claim whatsoever. So we're going to have to use their location data to make sure that they're locked down at home. And then eventually we're going to use that location data and other people's location data to know who everyone was around so that they can be contact traced. And if you were too close to someone with COVID, you would get a little message on your phone that said, Hey, you've been exposed to the very deadly pandemic. Are you horrified yet? Are you horrified yet? Are you horrified yet? And once you eventually say, okay, well, yeah, now you're starting to horrify me. Then they say, get to your nearest hospital, get a COVID test. You might get a false positive. You probably will. And then you will submit to the hospital protocol, which may very well kill you. But that wasn't enough. We needed to be locked down. 
We needed to trace our contacts and the contacts of everyone else so that we could know who the real spreaders are. And you know what? It's probably going to be those employees at essential businesses who we've told to double mask and wear a face shield just so that they can take groceries out and stack them on the shelves so that all the people pretending that they're being very safe from COVID wearing their masks as they get groceries, it's so that they will feel safe, but also so they can, you know, keep living and eating. Because the disease is bad. It's a very, very deadly pandemic. It's just not so bad that we actually need to lock down. You see, it's going to be okay at Target, but your friend's little dress shop, nah, we're going to have to close that. We're just going to have to have everybody buying their dresses at Target. It's just going to ultimately be better if people only buy the things they need from mega corporations who are going to do the things that we say. So you got the lockdowns, you got the contact tracing, but that's not all. Wait, there's more. They also want to know whether or not you got vaccinated, because if you didn't get vaccinated, then you're not allowed to enjoy the parts of society that better people are allowed to enjoy. Now, at first, they just want to give you a little vaccine card where they write down what your brand of Vax was. Remember how everyone was bragging? Oh, I'm a Pfizer baby. Oh, I'm a Moderna baby. Oh, I got the J&J. Some people call it Janssen and some people call it Johnson and Johnson. We didn't get that AstraZeneca. That's the bad kind that they give foreigners and it doesn't even work. <laughs> Ours are perfect though. They write down your little vaccine brand name, how many doses you got, what date you got your dose, and they sign off. And all of the villagers were walking around with their little vaccine cards being like, look at me, I can get into a coffee shop. But the vaccine card was never going to be the end of it. That's what they have clear for. Yes, now it only gets you through the airport quickly, but someday... The goal of Clear, the company, and I'm not being sarcastic or joking about this at all. Someday their goal is to have Clear checkpoints basically everywhere, and you will be a member of Clear. You will be pre-approved for entry at all sorts of places. Your work, restaurants, stores, your home. It's not just airports and stadiums. They are working on stadiums as well. It's going to be everywhere. They really believe that they are providing a service by facilitating an easy transition from one place to another. Each one of these places needs to verify who you are and that you are acceptable for entry. I did a show on this, I don't know, a year or so ago. They advertise themselves as a company that provides you the freedom to move easily around your world and accomplish each task throughout the day. You get up in the morning, you leave, you use your clear pass to check in at the gym. You go from the gym to work and use your clear pass to check into work. You go take some coworkers out to lunch. You use your clear pass and so do they to check into the restaurant. Everybody is healthy. Everyone is acceptable for entry. You leave. Maybe that night you're going to a movie. You have a date. 
at the movies, you use your clear passport to facilitate your acceptable entry into the movie theater. And then afterwards, of course, you use your clear passport to have a drink at the bar. And then you go home where you use your clear passport to enter your own home, which is the most convenient thing imaginable. It's keyless entry. Really, you don't even have to use your key to get into your house. Can you believe how convenient that is? Are you thinking this all the way through? Do you understand how much of your own personal liberty it would be worth giving up to be able to have keyless entry into your own house? It would be like you're at a hotel all the time, which is good because in the future, that will realistically be somebody else's house that you are just staying at. And that is just the beginning of the end of human liberty. So. Am I a conspiracy theorist? <laughs> sure. But also, this is exactly what they tell you they want to do. And so at some point, they might realize, hey, we have all these different things that we need this sort of life passport for. We sold it as just a quick way to get through the airport and a very convenient way to keep your vaccine status on hand and in play at all times. But think about what more we could do with this if we just combined everything into this same platform. You would have more convenience than anyone ever. We could put your money on there, a central bank digital currency. Sure, they can decide how much your money's worth, but at least it'll be on the same device as your vaccine status. And we can add your social credit score to that. And it can record, obviously, everything you say and do, who you communicate with, where you go, what you spend money on. I mean, all of these things are part of your social credit score, but all of this will be together in the same thing. And this is just going to be how you go about your life with ease unless you violate the rules and then they can with a flip of a switch or <laughs> an algorithm can do it. The AI could probably take care of this on its own. They could just turn all that off so that you can't actually do anything in your world at all. And they can do that anytime they want if you misbehave. So considering that that is not only possible, but it is exactly what is described in their agenda. And you can see that agenda being implemented in the world right now. And you can see the parts that are implemented producing the results to some extent that they told you those parts of the agenda would produce. It really is not a conspiracy theory to suggest that all of these things are being done in service of that agenda. And if the net effects of that agenda being fully implemented are that people no longer have liberty unless they comply and obey and behave, then it's really hard to make the argument that the entire agenda is actually is all done in service of these thousand other benefits we are supposed to derive after implementing this agenda rather than the one net effect of the entire thing. If the whole of the agenda results in the end of human liberty to the point where all normal people are under the same degree of control by the same system in, of course, a borderless world, 
then it's a lot more likely that the entirety of the agenda had that goal in mind and these thousand different aspects working in conjunction with one another that just simply end up producing that result do not need to be explained away individually as if they're no big deal. They are all a part of the greater whole and the greater whole goes in one direction. So if you buy the human liberty part and you understand, obviously, I mean, I don't think anyone is denying this at this point, that globalism is a real thing in the world. They do have these global governing bodies. They are trying to bring all the countries of the world under that umbrella and they're implementing all of the same policies in all of these countries in the world, including and most importantly, the whole no borders thing, then what else could the point be of inducing the end of human liberty and erasing borders other than for the people in charge of all of this to take domination over the world? It's not just an accident of circumstance that all of these things working together, being implemented by the most wealthy and powerful people in the world in conjunction with one another and with the global governing bodies end up producing a situation that allows for global domination and certainly the guarantee of the end of human liberty. None of that would be an accident at that point. And that is when you must understand that those very wealthy and powerful people who are controlling everything in conjunction with one another, with all of the old guard institutions, the media, academia, the corporations, the big tech companies, etc., etc., all working with the global governing organizations, they're doing it on purpose and they're doing it for a reason. People could claim that I'm being conspiratorial or speculative about their reasons, but the truth is they tell you all of that too. They don't have any problem telling people what it is they're doing. Watch Klaus Schwab speak. Watch Yuval Noah Harari speak. You can listen to any of the technocrats speak about their industry and what they are trying to do in their industry. All you have to do is understand that those organizations and those people all work together toward a common goal. And at that point, you simply have to examine the interplay between their projects and what that ultimate purpose is for. Now, let's think about those companies themselves. We are told consistently that we should just assume these companies were chasing profit as they have a duty to do, they have a fiduciary duty to earn money. That is their duty to their owners. Their owners are their shareholders. So they have a fiduciary duty to the shareholders to continue making their company as profitable as possible. And in doing that, they have to take outside investment. Well, how does that outside investment come in? Well, they are part of these large organizations that, as we said, help one another. And one of the ways that they began helping one another was through things like ESG investments. And so the regime funnels regime fiat dollars to the companies that go along with them, the companies who are necessary parts of the implementation of their agenda. 
They want to incentivize certain kinds of companies to go along fully in the execution of their agenda, and they will make people extraordinarily rich in the process because, again, they get to print and control the money and they also control the governments. So why not have the governments pay these companies for their services as well? What could be more natural since all of the individual governments are pursuing the globalist agenda together until the borders finally are eliminated? And then it'll just be clear that everyone was doing this one thing the whole time. So these companies want profit, however possible. That is what we were told. This is all about money. And to some people, it may well be all about money. But once you get to a certain level where you have enough money, where you have more money than you could ever possibly know what to do with, well, then the money's not really the goal anymore because additional dollars don't really change anything in real life. Yes, you might be having a contest with the other billionaires about who's the richest, but there's really not a whole lot beyond that. Okay, you have a nicer plane, Bill. We get it. Gosh, you are the nicest plane guy now. Okay. They can buy houses everywhere they want. They can fly around to their houses. They can have mistresses all over the world. They have servants to attend to every need of theirs. They hire world-renowned chefs to come cook for them for two weeks on vacation. Everything you can possibly imagine you might use money to do in order to improve your life, your comfort, your enjoyment, they can already do it. So why add more money? Eventually you reach the point where the money is not the purpose of anything. That's not the goal. You need something beyond money, status, experiences. Well, how do you get status? At a certain point, you generate the most status by being a philanthropist, trying to set the world up in your image under the guise of saving all of humanity with your vast largesse, all of this money, this regime fiat currency you have accumulated over time for doing all the things you're told and providing value to the regime. Now you are going to take that money and save the entire world with it. All of the poor, all of the diseased, all of the lesser thans out there, you have figured out through your intelligence and expertise how they must be saved. And it is now your moral duty to implement that. That is how we get the philanthropists, the very best people who exist now and who have ever existed in the world. We must worship and praise the philanthropists at every opportunity. Hallelujah, Bill Gates. Hallelujah, George Soros. So we have the agenda, world domination, a borderless global earth run by one centralized government. We don't need countries. Borders are pointless. And then we have ushered in what is essentially the end of human liberty, but it'll happen so slowly that the people who no longer have freedom will fail to notice. They will believe that they have full and complete freedom, even while having only a fraction of the freedom enjoyed by their predecessors of just a hundred years before or 50 years before or 20 years before. They will believe it's freedom because they experience themselves 
making choices. We understand that the organizations implementing all of this work together. Some of the people are just chasing after money, but above that, they are chasing after this agenda. The agenda itself is what makes them tick because they understand that they are in a special club that normal people can't be in. They are the very best people and they live above all of that. So they get to experience a different form of freedom than everyone else gets to experience. And with their form of freedom, they also get input and influence on how everyone else will live. So these people and these organizations have been involved in this great project, this incredibly destructive project. Let's keep the very deadly pandemic in our minds. Let's keep the fact that they steal elections across the board at all levels across our country and across the world in mind. And let's keep in mind that they provoke and then engage in wars of choice meant only to increase the power of the regime to the point where it is not so much country versus country, but regime against sovereign leaders. That is what we are seeing in the world right now. And it is what we have seen in the past. When you look to the past through that lens of good twin versus evil twin, not USA versus China versus Russia, not Democrat versus Republican. It's the global communist neo-feudalist worldview, the new world order against sovereign leaders of sovereign nations whose citizens are sovereign individuals. If you look back through the past, understanding that dynamic, then the past looks quite a bit different. Now, that was an extended background introduction to what I want to discuss and what I was discussing on Wednesday on the Devolution Power Hour, what I have discussed previously on Badland Story Hour, but never at length, and what I discuss in this piece of writing that I will eventually finish. And for the record, yes, I have told myself I will finish it this weekend as well, just as I tell myself every other weekend. But the subject I'm referring to is what I call informational time travel. And I'm going to try to lay out a relatively short but complete version of what I'm talking about because I think that this is going to help you understand my mindset and it may help you in your understanding of the world and how you view these events. Now, certainly all of us have heard about time travel. We understand it as this science fiction sort of idea. It's not always science fiction. Sometimes there's like some ancient religious cult that is aware of a portal that they protect with their lives, with the whole of society. This time travel portal is the most important thing that could ever possibly exist. So they have to maintain control over it. They've got to protect the access to this portal, etc. Sometimes it's a mad scientist building a time machine in his lab. Sometimes it's like military research, like a futuristic DARPA that comes up with this time travel machine that they can send soldiers through so that they can fight in a war in a different era, blah, blah, blah. You know the stories, you know, the mythology of time travel. And on some level, we all also believe 
that time travel is not possible. It's something that we can think about, but we know that it defies the laws of physics. So then we hear space scientists tell us, well, actually, if you go far enough away from the earth, like gravity and its effects can actually mean that the same thing is happening at like two different times. And like, if you spin really fast in one direction, it makes time go the other direction. No matter what, we will always have a bunch of dorks weighing in to tell us how the thing actually is, even though they're describing something that isn't real. Now, if you want to be mad at me for saying that and insulting the space and time travel scientists in this way, well, okay. But then also be like, hey, can you uh, prove that that thing you're saying is true? Has it ever happened? Have you ever observed it happening? And is there any reason to believe this except for the theory you're telling me is too complicated for me to understand? But you see, the thing is, I do understand a part of your theory, and that's the part that is based on other unproven theories. So. I'm going to have to say to you, Mr. Physicist, that uh, I'm not on board with this one, but thank you. And no, telling me that physicists have actually come up with other things that do work is not a refutation of what I just said. I'm not making the case that physicists don't know anything. I'm only making the case that physicists don't know this. But regardless... We imagine that time travel for real is impossible. We don't believe that there is a time machine that exists. We don't believe that there is a portal. We don't believe that that mad scientists or military research groups have discovered the secrets to time travel. Now, when we're thinking about time travel, what is it that we want? We want to exist in the past and take knowledge from the past in order to inform our decisions right now or. We made a decision in our lives that we are unhappy with. We want to go back so that we can change that decision. That decision being changed would then change who and what we are now and how we feel about our lives. Or we want to go into the future and we want to get something from the future that we can bring back to this time right now and use to improve our lives. We need to retrieve some special weapon or amulet and when we bring it into this current time frame, it's going to change everything. Or we need to take something from now into the future or into the past in order to fix something. And once you fix it, everything will be set on its proper course. Of course, we can never possibly know any of that because we don't know the second and third order results of our actions when we're taking them. We certainly could not know what the second and third and way beyond Results of our actions would be if we went into the past or the future and changed something because you can't just change one thing. If you want to go into the past to mend a failed relationship so that you and that person will have moved forward in your life together, well, that's going to change that person's life too. And it's going to change the lives of everyone who that person's life has intersected. We cannot possibly know how that little change we would like to make is going to affect the rest of the world. We don't have that kind of foresight. We don't have that kind of big picture knowledge. And we certainly don't know the other aspects of our world well enough to be able to predict 
how they will react. So based on all of that, we have absolutely no way to determine whether or not the changes we would make would have disastrous consequences. And then, of course, whether they would be morally right or wrong to change them. And then there's also the problem that you're the only one with access to the time machine and nobody else is able to make changes to correspond to how you have changed things. So what people really want to do is they want to kind of shake up the whole game board. They want to change everything into a different state and then play forward from there. People think this is going to work. This will improve their lives for sure. Everyone will be the happiest this way. If only we can accomplish this. What is it that they ultimately want to accomplish? Well, you have to bend the laws of physics in order to travel in time. So that is a superhuman ability. You would basically have to be all powerful to do that. We don't know the outcomes of our actions or how they would affect other people or affect our world. We can't even know if the changes we would make would be good for us. We don't have that kind of knowledge or foresight. What we want is to be omniscient and know everything. And of course, we need to be able to know everything from all perspectives. We need to be everywhere at once in order to know the thing that we're doing is right. So what you're talking about essentially are the features of God. You want omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresence. And then, of course, you want to have the perfect will in order to be able to make the right decisions in all of these cases. That is really the substance of our desire when we are expressing a yearning to travel through time. And we all have these yearnings, of course, because we understand that our lives aren't perfect and that we've made mistakes and that if we had these sorts of powers, we would change certain things and they would probably make our lives better right now. And something people always gravitate to, of course, is money, because for normal people, Maybe another $10,000 would be life-changing or $100,000. Or maybe if you're wealthier, maybe a million dollars will change your life. Or if you're extraordinarily in debt, I suppose. And you think, well, man, if I only went back to that time and instead of selling that stock because I thought it was never going to become anything, I would have held on to it a little while longer because it went up 100x after that. And if I had sold at that point, man, I would have $100,000 in my bank account right now. Money is like my biggest concern, and that would solve everything. You want to time travel in order to do that. You want to change what the world is in order to do that. You want the powers of God so that you can go do that. You want the world to be somehow as it is not currently. That is absolutely the desire for a different reality. You want to be able to change reality itself because you feel powerless in this reality to make the changes necessary in order to improve your condition the way you want it to be improved on the timeline in which you want it to be improved. You don't want to work a second job for three or four years to get that extra $100,000. You want the $100,000 right now without working. So here's the thing. I just talked a minute ago about how you might travel to the future and retrieve some sort of amulet or super weapon. You might go back to the past and redo a conversation that didn't go the way you wanted it to go. But what are you actually exchanging in those situations? What you are doing is trying to 
in some way manipulate the available information at the point at which that information would matter, right? So if you're having that conversation in the past, if you knew at that point how the future would evolve from there, you would have made a different decision. You could have made a different decision. If you traveled back in time and had that decision to make again, you would have decided differently. If you could go into the future and know how your life would progress to a certain point, then you might make immediate changes right now in the present. What you ultimately want as a result of time travel is a change in information. It's not the object. It's not the amulet or the super weapon that matters. It's the information we are seeing in our world right now. That information might be the most powerful weapon in the world. I think I would argue it is the most powerful weapon in the world. We see how information can be controlled. We see how it can be manipulated. We see how it can be used against us. I've said many times on this show and elsewhere that Twitter is an information weapon. They have the big algorithm in the cloud where all of the data goes, the whole fire hose of everyone's information all the time. Does it all flow through Amazon Web Services infrastructure? <laughs> yeah, probably. But whoever has control of the, all that information and is able to use all that information, whoever has control of Twitter, for instance, can change the public conversation, change the public mindset and belief structure, and then implement different programs and have the public go along with them because the information is that manipulated, that they are able to change people's minds in a very short amount of time, seconds, minutes, hours, days, usually not longer than that, unless something requires society-wide change in sentiment. And they're able to do that too, by the way. Think about how our culture views race compared to 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago. That has been a methodical, slow information operation in order to confuse everyone about the meaning of race and the status of race relations in our country. That's not something that would be possible just from people living their own normal lives where people simply get along with one another almost all the time. To have the entire society change their minds about something like that requires a manipulation of the information flow, which is particularly easy now that we have this advanced information weaponry like Twitter, like that massive store of data and like the algorithms and the AI that operate all of it. Now, not only is information the most important thing that you could retrieve in time travel, there is some abstract way to talk about even the amulet or super weapon that would still only be information that is gained and moved through time. But here's the thing. You don't actually need to physically transport yourself through time in order to operate on different timelines relative to information. Now, about a year ago, I wrote an article that it still appears on the Substack called The Sides of History. And I talk about how history, as we're told, is written by the winners. And every time the winners write our history, the winners will present themselves as the best people, even if they were the absolute worst people. If the regime were to come out the winners of this whole situation, 
They would write the future of the COVID era, the Trump era, the Black Lives Matter era. They would write the history of that era as if they were the ones victimized by all of this, not the ones implementing all of this and forcing everyone to endure all of this. They were not the people abusing the reputations of their institution in order to implement an agenda that destroyed societies. Instead, they were the very smart, safe, responsible, highly educated experts, scientists, philanthropists, etc., who were saving everyone's lives from a very deadly pandemic. They weren't the people sparking race wars and using false flag events to turn people against their neighbors. They were the people trying to protect everyone from the massive white supremacist threat. And who leads the white supremacist threat? Well, that's Donald Trump, who is the modern day Hitler. And I'm not making any of this up. That's what they tell us. From the perspective of the future, looking back on this time right now, if the regime were to end up the winner, their stories would become the history of this era. And in that history, we are the evil ones. So not only are they writing a false history in real time of us right now, watching and observing them as they do that. And as they set up for the future, they are preparing for us based on the understanding we will need to have in that future in order to accept it. Then you can see them writing our future right now, too. But that's not all. You can also witness as they revise our past. Think of the 1619 Project. That is exactly what they did. They wrote that to revise our past, to change America, not from this place where people were pursuing lives of individual striving and freedom and liberty and the ability to worship and believe and speak as one chooses. Nope. We set up America to be a colony that protects slavery. And in their mind, because America was set up for such bad reasons on such bad ideals, America must be done away with. America has simply passed its prime. America and its founding beliefs are now obsolete. We need to move into this global world, this global future that they have prepared for us. So they give us fake news right now to confuse us about what's happening in the world. They write and prepare a future for us so that we will accept that future once it arrives and they change the past in our understanding so that we cannot rely on the past. All of the history is revised whenever they need it to be revised and we shouldn't assume that the revisions we can detect are the only revisions they've made. It becomes immediately clear then that you cannot trust them at all about Anything we were taught throughout history, particularly not stuff that we learned in public schools whose curricula are dictated by the government. So the idea is that they throw us off not only on the facts of the events and what meanings we should derive from those events, but they also use this same process to distort our perception of time. 
So we know we can be thrown off course about the facts of the events. We can be encouraged into extracting improper meanings from those events because the facts are distorted and misleading. And then we are thrown off in our interpretation of the timing of events. Our history is erased and changed. Our future is prepared for us. We are told that if we don't fall in line, we are going to be doomed to repeat the suffering of our past. Now, with that in mind, let's consider some examples. Let's consider a high school-aged girl. Maybe she's a sophomore, a junior, a senior. She's a normal kid. She wants an active social life. She's involved with school activities. Make up the character however you see fit. But she's grown up without her father. And her mother tells her, that her dad just wasn't successful enough and that's why their relationship fell apart. Her mom imparts mistaken, perhaps, wisdom that it is necessary for a man to have a certain level of stability, uh, of status, of wealth, to be able to take care of a family, to be able to take care of a woman properly. And so first and foremost in her life, she needs to make sure that those boxes are checked in whoever she is going to end up in relationships with. She's taught to look for these superficial compatibility indicators when making decisions about her love life. Love itself might never come into the picture. Love itself would at that point then be a bonus. You would want the person with all the right characteristics. You hope among the set of people out there with this set of characteristics that you could find one you'd get along with and eventually love. There is absolutely nothing unique about any of these ideas. In fact, it is just the working understanding of relationships in a place like Hollywood. And I fear that it is the working understanding of relationships in the modern day, partially because of Hollywood. Now, let's say this girl starts dating one of the popular boys in school. Maybe he's the high school quarterback, comes from a wealthy and prominent family in town. She is immediately more popular. Everyone wants to be her friend. She gets to go to all the cool parties. Everybody thinks she's one of the coolest girls in school. She goes to a party on a weekend with this boyfriend. He takes her up to some room upstairs and mistreats her. Doesn't go all the way, but makes her very, very uncomfortable. She goes home. She tells her mom about it. Her mom says, oh, well, you know, it's hard to say. Boys will be boys. And he's from such a good family. We don't want to, you know, cause a stir in town. Was it really that bad? I mean, boys will be boys. Are you okay? And the daughter says, okay, yeah, I get it. Yes. Now, a week or two later, she is at another party with this boyfriend. The same thing happens again. And this time she goes ahead and lets the boyfriend do what he wants to do. She reasons to herself that he is a good guy. He is a good boyfriend. Boys will be boys. This is what happens. We are now this age. This is what people our age do. So all of this is fine. Now it happens. Now she's made that decision. Now that decision is irreversible. A couple weeks later, she finds out that same boyfriend did the same thing with her best friend. These are situations that are part of some people's real life experience. Now, this girl will likely experience some level of trauma surrounding this situation. And she has gone to her mother to help her interpret 
this situation properly. And her mother simply has not given her the tools to do that. And a lot of kids have parents who are not able to help their children cope with traumatic events and understand things properly. So what lessons will be learned from this situation? Well, we've got boys will be boys. This is how they are. It is worth it to sacrifice yourself and your needs if the person is prominent and successful, has a good family and a good reputation, you like being popular, you like being the cool girl at school. So don't say anything. You're just going to have to let this one go. And the truth is that though this was a bad experience, it is still right and true and good to look for men in the future who have this sort of financial stability and reputational stability because they are the people you're going to be able to form successful relationships with. So just figure out if there's one out there that you love who will love you. And that's how that's going to work. Well, now this girl is probably on a very unsatisfying path for the rest of her life. When it comes to relationships, she will continue seeking out guys of a certain status. She will form relationships with them. And then eventually they will disappoint her in similar ways. Most likely, Hey, maybe she gets lucky and finds a saint out there. Wonderful, but probably not because she's not seeking out a saint. She's seeking out someone with superficial markers of quality. And the truth is that men who are looking to be sought for those qualitative aspects are seeking superficial qualities themselves, like looks or sexuality or status or who knows what. So the likelihood of forming a very productive relationship in that situation becomes rather low. When you don't know what you're looking for, there's a good chance you're not going to find it. And when you think you're pursuing one thing while actually pursuing that thing's opposite, there is virtually no chance you are going to achieve the goal you believe you're pursuing. Now, I would say that these superficial aspects of goodness, these superficial markers of goodness are indeed the opposite of seeking out relationships based on love and trust and understanding and the actual good principled moral things that create the possibility for sustainable relationships. Now, many of you are familiar with Dr. Drew and Adam Carolla. They used to have a show on television on MTV, I believe, called Loveline. And on Loveline, they would take calls from viewers who would ask them for relationship advice and between Dr. Drew with the medical side and Adam Carolla, just a real guy with a lot of life experiences and insight, they would give some advice to these callers. Now, occasionally there were women who would call in who have especially high pitched and girlish voices and manners of speaking. And Dr. Drew would routinely ask if they were abused as children. And he would talk about that because there is an extensive history and an understanding that certain traumas inflicted as a young person that go unresolved end up stunting the emotional growth of that young person at the time of the trauma. Young people, especially young people without stable parents and stable people around them, have not built up the proper mental and emotional apparatus within themselves to properly interpret trauma and respond well to trauma in a way that will be productive 
for them going forward. So they have this trauma from when they were young that they haven't properly processed. And a lot of the time that will end up producing alcohol addictions, drug addictions, other various vices or addictive behaviors that will allow them to slip into these various false realities where they feel more comfortable about their past trauma in any situation that will trigger memories from that trauma. They did not learn the right lessons of the past, and they will seek out situations in the future that allow them to re-experience those events from the past with the belief that maybe they have learned enough by now to make the proper decision this time. They will literally seek out the repetition of those traumatic events in order to attempt to revise the past into something they are better able to deal with because they cannot deal with that trauma from the past. Now, I believe that you may know where I'm going with this. How many failed relationships must the woman in our example go through before she finds the right relationship? Well, the answer is probably infinity of them because every time she forms a new bond based on those bad priorities, these superficial markers of character and goodness that she has mistaken for being the goal of love, not her own fault, of course, but true nonetheless, every time she forms one of these new relationships, she is going to attempt to reinforce her understanding as correct. All those misinterpretations from the past, she will not let go of that initial misinterpretation. She is bound to repeat that misinterpretation into the future. And each and every time, though we would expect the failure of another relationship would lead her to believe that she's doing something wrong. Instead, she will reinterpret that new failure to fit into the former paradigm. She will not give up the idea that these superficial status markers are the most important thing. She will double down on that idea and she will continue to do it throughout her life. She will eventually convince herself that it is actually she herself who is not good enough. She doesn't actually warrant the love of a high status person, which is why she can't find a high status person who will love her. But the truth is that those superficial status markers are not going to be the proper basis for love. And the people who exhibit those superficial status markers are not seeking love from her. She will continue to reinforce these things. And as people age, this is true of both men and women. They believe that they become less attractive, less desirable. Maybe they are getting on in years and are no longer a partner for children to start a family with. And this is especially true for women. And I've witnessed it for almost two decades in Hollywood. But women will understand that these high status men can actually just continually date younger and younger women. Without stopping, there's no end point. It doesn't matter how old they can get. They can still find, pursue, and couple with younger women. And so then all of a sudden, the women still trying to compete on those superficial status markers are getting plastic surgery and doing other things to themselves to make them still appear young. All of this, a process of doubling down and doubling down and doubling down on prior misinterpretations. They started out with bad ideas from authority. The mother imparted bad wisdom to her daughter because her mother herself had misinterpreted 
her own relationships in the past. So the daughter starts out with these bad ideas from authority. And we all start out with ideas from authority because our parents are the ones who tell us about the world. We're not these tiny children just simply learning about the world on our own. People have to tell us how things work. And we accept all those early interpretations because that is when we are most in need of trusting authority. We are prone to carrying those ideas throughout our lives. Then we experience trauma. And in our inability to properly respond to trauma, that prior interpretation from authority gets reinforced. We actively try to reinforce it so that we can go back to some place of comfort and stability in our emotional lives and in our circumstances as we process that trauma and try to get back to what we believe is our baseline normal. Now, the only way that this woman in our example is going to get out of that is by unwinding this process all the way to the beginning of when the process started for her. And she may need to keep unwinding past that in order to understand, for instance, what her mother's experience was. How did her mother adopt this ill-formed belief that has now guided her own life in such bad directions? This is a long process. This is a process that on some level therapists try to engage in with their clients. And a lot of the time, one of the problems with therapy is that they will try to hijack this process by simply trying to locate what it was that was this beginning formative problem and then try to draw everything out of that as if you don't need to find that thing at the end of the process, tracing all those steps back to that trauma. You can't just be like, oh yeah, that was my trauma. Let me figure out the rest of it particularly with someone that doesn't know you at all. But that is still the process that a lot of people participate in when doing talk therapy, when seeing a therapist, when seeing a relationship counselor, whatever it is. So the process itself certainly has some extensive history. It then becomes a matter of how we interpret that process and then implement it in our own lives to be able to unwind this massive problem that we have lived with for 30 years, 35 years. Let's say the woman is 40 years old at this point, and she was taught that lesson from the time she was five to the time she was 15 or 16 or 17 till she had this traumatic event. And then that lesson was reinforced. So she's been cycling through this thought process for 30, 35 years and going through relationship after relationship, each relationship confirming that past misinterpretation. Now, each and every one of those misinterpretations that is set up to rearrange the world in someone's mind to make it understandable, each one of those misinterpretations is a step into a false reality. It is a detachment from the reality. The lesson that could have been learned from the beginning was to form relationships, you need to look for compatible human characteristics, compatible moral characteristics. Can you find love? Can you find trust? Can you find loyalty? Can you find understanding? Can you find common values, right? Those are the things that people are supposed to base their lives and their relationships on if you want to successfully engage with reality and consistently produce good results. 
if instead all of that is replaced with a bunch of superficial markers of character and quality, then you will be venturing in the exact opposite direction of what the right answer is. Every new relationship, every confirmation of the prior misinterpretation will be a step further down the path into what I refer to as a total inversion within the false reality. And at that point, you are actively seeking out the very things that are the opposite of what you should be seeking out to produce the result you desire. Every step further on makes the problem worse. You are at that point, not just getting things wrong. You are getting things wrong in a very specific, particular way. And that way is this. Every new decision will be exactly opposite of the right decision for the most important reason, right? It's going to reflect directly on the mistakes that you have made that have now become part of your character to the point where they are an identifiable part of you. Like, oh, that's the person that makes really bad relationship decisions because she's always going after these high status men who she does not value properly and who can never value her. The only way to get back out of this is to unwind this process by walking back down the same path and beginning to understand each and every one of these relationships in a holistic fashion until you understand the commonality there and what it is that you are seeking out in this example, what this woman is seeking out. And so she might get back to that original trauma that she experienced in high school where that misinterpretation was really solidified in who she was. Prior to that, they were just words from her mother about what she should do sometime in the future. But after that trauma happens, and after she has to process that trauma, after that trauma is improperly processed, that misinterpretation takes on something much bigger and broader than mere words. And it's going to stay that way until it is fully and properly unwound. Here's the thing at the moment, this misinterpretation is fully and properly unwound. That woman is going to immediately change from the emotional 16 year old. She has been for the last 24 years of her life, and she will immediately begin catching up to the 40 year old woman. She actually is in reality. Her emotions will begin growing from that 16 year old point where they got stuck. She will begin catching up to real time once again. And depending on how successful and effective and committed someone is to this process, you might be able to jump all the way back to real time and understand, oh my goodness, how have I spent my entire life pursuing all of these things that led me in the exact opposite direction from where I wanted to end up? If you are able to fully incorporate and deal with that thing, you might notice every time you are pursuing something in the wrong direction and then lead yourself only in the right direction. You might actually be able to resolve that problem completely rather quickly after having unwound all that and understood the mistake that was made. And when and if that happens, you might immediately snap into the future relative to where you just were before that unwinding process began. So for this woman's entire life, back since that traumatic event, 
that pushed her into a false reality, which she then confirmed again and again and again and again over time through each and every one of her relationships. She was stuck in an informational past relative to that particular traumatic event. Everything in her life that intersects that event and the understandings of relationships, for instance, but events like that will probably affect other things as well, including and especially her relationship with her mom, though she may not be aware of it. For everything that intersects that event, she is operating on information that was gained only from the past. You cannot gain new effective information from anything that happened from that point onward, if you have already made that critical seminal mistake from back then. So everything involving relationships for this woman takes place in an informational past. She is using misinterpreted information from 20, 24 years ago to be able to make her current relationship decisions. She is living in an informational past relative to that event and everything in her life that intersects that event and the knowledge she could pull from that event. She did not get the right knowledge. It was totally misinterpreted. All the information, all the knowledge gained from that event was wrong and certain to lead her in the wrong direction, producing proper outcomes. Okay, so that is how that looks on the individual and personal level. We have a false belief from authority. We experience some sort of trauma, whether that trauma is accidental or self-inflicted, inflicted upon us. And then we cement the misinterpretation of that trauma. The process will repeat until the process is fully unwound. If that process is fully unwound, you no longer are forced to live in an informational past relative to that event. You accept the reality of the event, and then you can begin growing relative to that event in actual reality. You can snap back into the present. And the goal for everyone should be to detect these problems, these places in our lives where we are living in an informational past and snap ourselves back to the present to the degree we can as fast as possible so that we can operate on real world information attached to the empirical observable reality that will be effective for us in our lives as we process new information and situations. Now, many people out there have been firmly grounded in the empirical observable reality throughout their lives. They haven't been shot off course into many various false realities and good for them. Most of those people are extremely awake. They are extremely present and they are living the lives they want to live to the degree it's possible for anyone. Everybody has their flaws. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has things to deal with, but we are best prepared to do all of that when we are firmly grounded in the empirical observable reality. We are attached not only intellectually and observationally, but emotionally to that reality. People talk about living in the present, observing the present. Maybe meditation can get you there. But it's a bit shallow to view it that way, particularly when many or most or maybe even all of us live in an informational past relative to multiple events that end up affecting the whole of our lives. But let's take it away from the individual. And this is one of the things that got me thinking about all of this last year. Think about a person 
who has just realized within the last few weeks that vaccines for COVID were a really bad idea. They weren't necessary. They didn't work and they may well be extremely deadly. They might be a bioweapon. They might be sterilizing people. They may have killed tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions. And in the future, who knows? It was a bad idea to take the vaccine. That much can be said without question. There was never any need for it. So people introduced risk where there was no risk that needed to be accounted for. That is automatically a bad idea in all situations. And we don't need data and studies to tell us that. Now, here's the thing. While these people might have just figured out a couple of weeks ago that vaccines are very bad. We've all been talking about this for years, which is why we didn't take it. So you and I knew, and maybe some of you didn't, and I hope that you are taking care of your immune systems as well as you possibly can. I wish nothing but the best for you. I am sorry that you made a bad decision. We all make bad decisions. I have made plenty, though not that one. And that one happens to be in the example right now. So apologies. But we knew back then, don't take this thing. That was two and a half years ago at that point. So someone just figuring out two weeks ago that the vaccines were a bad idea when a huge portion of society, including their peers, their friends, their family, their neighbors knew that same information two and a half years ago. And again, it's not different information. We've talked about reruns a bunch this week. The stories get played over and over and over and over and over again. Now, I didn't know before COVID that vaccines really were a problem. I heard people talk about it with autism and with other, uh, you know, peanut allergies, childhood diseases, whatever. But like a good little college boy, I trusted the science. I trusted the experts. I trusted the authorities. Oh, okay. Well, maybe there are some problems with the vaccine, but they are random and they are rare. They're certainly not intentional and vaccines save us from all of these diseases. Therefore, vaccines are good. Now, I could have known that was wrong way, way before I did. There are absolutely people in this world who knew that vaccines had real problems way before I ever figured that out for myself and admitted it to myself. I could have been 20 years ahead on a timeline in my understanding of vaccines if I had listened to those people, just like people who just figured out a couple of weeks ago that vaccines were unnecessary, ineffective, and not particularly safe at all, could have known all of that a couple of years ago when all of us did and we were talking about it online constantly while being shamed and ridiculed and mocked and censored. Now, if you're tracking what I'm saying, I was 20 years in an informational past relative to someone who knew that vaccines were unnecessary, unsafe, and ineffective 20 years before I knew. The person who just figured out all of that about vaccines a couple of weeks ago was two and a half years in an informational past relative to me. Now think about the amulet or the super weapon we were talking about before, that thing you have to retrieve and how information is actually the only goal. The amulet and the super weapon in some sense only reflect an abstract 
version of simple information that you can retrieve and bring somewhere else. Now, if someone is two and a half years in an informational past relative to me regarding vaccines, then they are living in a real way in the past. They are not able to properly interact with the empirical observable reality as it exists in the present. If they were, they would have made an entirely different decision back then than they made. They made that decision because they were living in an informational past and were not connected to reality. In fact, they made the exact opposite wrong decision for exactly the wrong reasons. If you are trying to determine whether or not you should take a medical product to defend you from a disease that you don't have, well, you'd better at least have a pretty good idea that you're probably going to get the disease. If you get the disease, it's probably going to harm or kill you. And then you would want to assess whether or not the medical product can prevent you from getting that disease or from it harming or killing you. And then you would consider whether or not there is a greater likelihood of success taking the vaccine or not doing so. But that's not how people made that decision at all. Those people made that decision on the basis of social incentives. Could they keep their job? Could they go to the places they wanted to go to? Would they be allowed to travel? Would they be respected by their peers? Would they be allowed to work? Could they go see their sister's newborn baby? These are the kinds of questions people dealt with, and these are the considerations they made when choosing whether or not to inject themselves with a toxic experimental substance that can't protect them from a disease that can't kill them. Now, under what conditions would you make a decision like that on those grounds? And I would suggest to you that that is a product of living in an informational past. In that informational past, vaccines are very safe and very effective. And the medical community is there to save lives and only to save lives. In fact, that's what the Hippocratic Oath is for and everyone follows it. So, of course, all of these things are the exact right reasons to make this decision. Now, none of those things are the right reasons, because in the real world at present, you can see that none of those things produced good results for people and that every bit of that logic is totally and absolutely flawed. Now, you might understand immediately vaccines are a bad idea. And with just that understanding, you burst into the future relative to vaccines, but not all the way. You're not going to ever catch all the way up to the present moment about everything. It is absolutely purely impossible. And so on some level, we are all doomed to live in a false reality to some extent. That is why we have a yearning to continue to achieve knowledge and experience of higher and higher forms of reality. At the end of that process, I would submit to you is God. And that's one of the reasons I am no longer an atheist, but that is for an entirely separate discussion. The point is we cannot catch all the way up to the present moment. And part of the reason why we can't catch all the way up to the present moment is that the understanding that vaccines are not safe, they're not effective, and we don't need them 
is understanding that the medical community who pushes the vaccines, who produces the vaccines, who sells the vaccines is looking at you as an exploitable commodity. They want you to take the vaccine so that they can make money. But that doesn't explain the messaging about the vaccines or why it must be a vaccine. What they want is more control. We know these people all have an historic depopulation agenda, which again, they do not keep secret. And then there are a number of other problems that evolve from this new understanding about the vaccine. Can we trust the government? No, it turns out that we can't. And again, this is something that we could have all known for our entire lives. And certain people certainly do. But I'm 44 years old and I just figured out the vaccine thing a few years ago. I just figured out the extent to which our government lies to us and deceives us. I just figured out the extent of the actual evil that exists in the world. And it's my goal to incorporate all of those things into my understanding now, into how I view the world now. This might sound self-inflating in some way. I don't mean it to, but people occasionally communicate their surprise and they say, how did you go from being asleep a few years ago to being so open-minded and so red-pilled and so willing to see this in its fullness, all of this stuff. I try not to avoid all of the bad things. And as I think I probably made clear earlier, I don't really care anything at all anymore for history as it's told to us or science as it's told to us. I don't want to accept anything on false authority ever again, if I can avoid doing so. And that is particularly true when it intersects situations that intersect various traumas that I have had personally, or that we have had as a society. And I would submit to you that a stolen election is a societal trauma. A very deadly pandemic is a societal trauma. A war of choice like the one in Ukraine is a societal trauma. I suppose any war, regardless of whether it's necessary or not, would cause some level of societal trauma. But let's go back further than that and make sure we can figure out what lessons should have been learned and where we departed into a false reality, right? So let's just stick with the vaccine thing and then start going back. There are certainly ways we could have avoided the societal trauma of the George Floyd thing. I think everybody understands that at this point. But let's go back and look at 9-11. How did 9-11 just blow over? Well, society wasn't awake back then. Certainly some people were awake. Some people know what was going on with our government. Some people knew they absolutely couldn't trust the government at all. But then there were people like me. I was curious. I watched Loose Change. I watched Zeitgeist, but it never made total sense to me because I didn't believe it was possible that an evil of that sort, an orchestration of something evil of that sort could really happen in the world. I didn't believe that people were that evil. I didn't believe there was any way they could care that much about money because I didn't understand the rest of the agenda. I didn't understand what this project is in the scope of history. And so that event occurred. We all agreed that uh, they hate us for our freedoms. We called French fries freedom fries for a little bit. George W. Bush told us we should all go out and shop. 
We were told we're going to fight them over there so that we don't have to fight them here. And we all reaffirmed our faith in government and moved forward. Now, reaffirming our faith in government after 9-11 is the exact wrong interpretation. That is a product of a total inversion in the false reality. And if you end up making that misinterpretation again and again and again through a series of traumatic events, you will step down that path toward total inversion and you will be fully immersed within a false reality. Seeing 9-11 happen and in the aftermath, reaffirming your trust and faith in government is the exact wrong decision. It is the most unproductive possible decision for you as an individual to make if you want to be able to exist in the present, in the empirical observable reality and make good decisions within that. I remember being a young child in, I think, first or second grade art class in my rural public school and watching the Challenger disaster happen on TV. That was certainly a traumatic event, but my parents weren't around. It was 20 other seven or eight year olds and me. And of course, our teacher. Now, I don't remember what that teacher would have said, and I don't really have much of a memory of that entire event, but I do understand it as some sort of societal trauma that would have then required some sort of interpretation. And I can absolutely guarantee that it would be a misinterpretation because the interpretations of societal trauma are handed down from the top. They are given to us on authority. We are told, Hey, don't worry. I know that was a big mistake, but we got this and what we're going to need to get through this thing and ensure a positive outcome together is for everyone to be unified, for everyone to get on the same page. And you got to trust us. I know that was messed up. I know we had a little mistake there, but we're still the only ones that can fix it. So you know what? You got to trust us even harder than you did before. We promise we're going to make your lives really good. And if we're able to do that for a little bit, even just a little while, you are going to believe that you can always trust us out into the future forever. Now, think about how well we did that within the false reality, how hard we went after making sure that we all trusted the government forever after that. I know, I know, not everyone, but the people in the false reality recommitted to that faith in government real hard. Anthrax, trust the government. Weapons of mass destruction, trust the government. Got to get them in Afghanistan, got to fight them over there so we don't have to fight them over here, trust the government. Maybe we should go fight them in Iraq too, even though they're not there, trust the government. All of that is just 9-11 and the misinterpretations that evolved from that trauma. And you can go back even further than that. And of course, many people have people who are older than I am, people in my parents' generation, in the baby boom generation. Well, they experienced Vietnam. They experienced the Kennedy assassination, both while they were young. And in the meantime, we had the advent of pop culture and psychedelic drugs and the sexual revolution. No one got a bigger dose of all of this than the baby boomers did. They got shunted into false realities left and right. And cheers to them for being able to honestly do anything after that point. A lot of people give baby boomers a lot of shit. And this is partly why, but I think that 
they deserve more sympathy than anyone because they got the full maximum dose. In fact, I think people in my generation, Generation X, probably got the lowest dose out of the people who are alive in American society right now. Maybe the Zoomers and younger are getting a different sort of low dose. They're still getting the high dose. It just doesn't have the same effect it used to. And I think that that may reflect what Gen X experienced. You know, the boomers had the advent of television and pop culture, as I said, the psychedelic drugs, the sexual revolution, all of that stuff became a little blase by the time people my age were growing up in the mid nineties. And certainly I'm on the later side of Gen X. But the ethic of my generation kind of went in a different direction. And then the millennials who immediately followed after had the full dose of the Internet and then social media and cell phones, etc. And that is a highly distorting time in which to live that shunts them into all sorts of false realities relative to whatever is being changed. So here's the thing, the same way that we talk about unwinding this chain of events, these steps on a path that have led us toward total inversion within the false reality. They have led us toward that point where we only make exclusively bad decisions. And those decisions are of a specific and particular type. They are exactly wrong in a certain way. And the way they are exactly wrong will be the way that most confirms the misinterpretation and continues us down that path because our entire purpose in our decision-making and our thought process is to reconfirm the truth of that false reality. The same way we do that as individuals can be done as individuals relative to these societal events. And if you trace them back, you go back through the boomers, you go back through Vietnam, through the Kennedy assassination, you will realize very quickly that we have not been able to trust our government for the last 60 years. There was never a point at which the government could be relied upon to tell us the truth the whole truth and the truth in a way that might lead us to be more firmly attached to reality and in a position to make better decisions for ourselves and for society. In fact, they have done specifically the opposite of that, which is to launch as many programs as possible to shunt us into false realities down as many avenues and verticals as they are able to do. Once again, achieving that point where they are able to control us and control the world. All we have to do is individually walk back that path, going away from this total inversion and toward reality, knowing that we're not going to get all the way there, but we can improve our understanding over time. If we take that original lesson, that original misinterpretation that was solidified through trauma in our own lives, and we understand what the proper interpretation would have been, then we can snap immediately into the present relative to that event. If we understand that we should never at any point trust that our government is trying to make our lives better, and that's why they want us to all do the same thing and give them more power, if we know that they are not to be trusted in any of those circumstances, then we are able to use that 
properly discerned and properly learned lesson in order to guide our decisions in the present, which actually does and actually will make it possible for us to have a more productive, more satisfying, more grounded future where we are firmly attached to reality and existing in the present. The present, you have to understand, is the future relative to an informational past. We're not going to be able to go ahead of the present. We're not even going to be able to catch up to the present, but we can live in the future relative to everyone who is stuck in that informational past. I mentioned on Devolution Power Hour the other night, we were talking about currency, for instance. I use this as an example. If in the future it was 100% certain that our currency was going to inflate a thousand times and would be essentially worthless, but that gold and silver and Bitcoin, for instance, I don't know what the answer is. Okay. I don't know what the answer is. I think that's the answer. I don't know that's the answer. But if we knew that was the answer, then it wouldn't make sense for us to wait around and find out whether or not that was the answer. It would make sense for us to begin to diversify into those things. And this is not an extended gold commercial, although if that's what you take away from it, then I guess you can go to com slash reasonable. But the point is, if you knew that that was the future because you are existing as close as possible to the informational present, and you can see all the signs that indicate that's what the future will be, then you need to begin living in the future to the best extent that you can. You are setting yourself up in a position that is well ahead of everyone else who is living in an informational past relative to that particular issue. And I think some of this is very white pill worthy because that should inform you quickly that you are living in an informational future already relative to probably 95% of the world just because you're not lying to yourself about very important situations. Pretty much anything that has to do with Donald Trump, everybody who is operating in the informational past where Donald Trump is this evil, stupid, malignant, egomaniac, narcissistic, racist, like everyone was saying back in 2015, if you still exist with a 2015 understanding of Donald Trump, then you are living in an informational past relative to virtually everything that matters right now. And it is impossible to make good decisions in the real world when you live in an informational past relative to almost everything that matters. Now, it's critical that we understand if we are engaged in the present, if we are in the future relative to people stuck in an informational past, then we're going to have a really hard time telling people what the future looks like while we might be exactly right about it. When people won't listen to me in my conversations about politics, I don't worry at all. I just understand they're in an informational past and sooner or later, time is going to prove me correct about a bunch of these things. There was no point, for instance, at which Hillary Clinton did not pay for the creation of the Steele dossier. Some people just found that out this week for the first time. That means they were seven years in an informational past relative to Russiagate. To them, we really do exist in the future. 
That does not mean that we put their understanding on par with our understanding and treat those two understandings as if they are a simple difference of opinion. One of them is information from a past that does not now and never did exist. There is not a past that exists where Hillary Clinton did not set up the Russiagate hoax and where Donald Trump actually colluded with Russia. People who still believe that cannot exist in the present successfully, which is why they're always wrong. And there are too many things in their societal understanding that would have to be unwound before they can be right. So it makes absolutely no sense to spend your time arguing with those people by trading links and sources and telling them my facts are better than your facts. Why can't you understand? Well, they can't understand because they're trapped in the past. Now I'll say it again. We cannot entirely exist in the present, no matter how much we attempt to catch up to the present by using this informational time machine, taking us from the informational past into a relative future, relative to that event or to that misinterpretation from trauma. We can do that over and over and over again, and that still won't be all of the events relative to which we exist in an informational past. Think about the effects of technology right now, and specifically the knowledge that people creating that technology with access to that technology on the cutting edge have relative to us. They already exist in an informational future relative to us because what they are dealing with already exists in reality right now. We just don't know it and we're not going to know it for a while until they decide to tell us or until we're able to figure it out for ourselves. And it doesn't matter how many things we end up figuring out. There will still be more of them. People in defense research, people like Elon Musk, people like Donald Trump, are living in an informational future relative to us on a number of levels. We are already getting things wrong on the basis of that particular lack of knowledge that other people have in the same way that people who took the COVID vaccine were getting things wrong relative to us because we were existing in the future relative to them. Now, knowing that should be a source of great humility for us when we are doing things like pontificating about what AI is going to do, for instance. And I think of this often when people are giving their political analysis while not including the fact that our elections are stolen. There is going to be an event at some point that will be undeniable, and I'm not saying it will necessarily be traumatic. But there will be some point at which people realize on a widespread basis across society that our elections are stolen. So all of the analysis that has been done ignoring that fact about our world that has been present for a long time, but certainly for the last two and a half years, will be the product of of a misinterpreted understanding of an informational past and therefore absolutely useless to us, which again is why I don't spend 
any time dealing with the details of someone's political analysis who ignores the facts of election fraud. It's not because I simply don't like them, although I also don't like them. And it's not because I simply think they're immoral, although I also think they're immoral. It's because it literally doesn't make any sense to have an argument about an informational past that did not and does not exist and cannot possibly interact with the present. That doesn't mean that the lies about election fraud can't interact with the present, which is why it's important to know about those lies. But there's not going to be any good information coming from those people. Now, let's bring all of this back around to where we started. I was talking about the collapse of these organizations that are tied into the global agenda, to the World Economic Forum agenda, the Great Reset agenda. And I'm talking about the individuals, the philanthropists, of course, the very best people on earth, everyone who wants to be one of the very best people, all of those people who believe that they are going to get in the club and all of the wannabes to those wannabes, all of the party of false decorum, all of these people, these people who have centered their lives around chasing superficial markers of status and success and have been willing to do and say whatever necessary in order to continue advancing by the people who they wish to impress. Because once they impress those people, those people are the ones who can lift them up to that position of higher status on this ladder of success within the party of false decorum. And as you might suspect, those goals within the party of false decorum are the product of a total inversion in the false reality. And that is a particularly hard one to unwind. But let's leave that aside and focus on the best people, the organizations they run, all of this stuff that's intertwined with this agenda, all of it being unbelievably corrupt, unbelievably criminal, all of these people being compromised. I am absolutely comfortable saying I believe these people have participated in crimes against humanity on a scale that the world may have never seen. And all of them should suffer the consequences for that. There should be retribution and accountability commensurate with the level of what they've done. When people understand what all of this is, they're going to demand justice. And I hope that they achieve that justice. Now, we've talked often about how Donald Trump set up various executive orders, for instance, Executive Order 13848, which allows for a range of sanctions against anyone involved in interference in American federal elections on behalf of or in league with foreign entities. There are a lot of people that that describes, including absolutely every organization who played some part in that within that global enterprise. We also talk extensively about how a lot of what's happening in the world right now has two aspects. One of them is optics and the other one is the actual events occurring in the world. Now, understanding that we are in an informational past relative to the people making these decisions in the world and what we are being given and shown is a version of those events as told in the past. Those events already happened. They're being described to us in a way that is conscious 
of public optics and how people are going to interpret these situations, then we have to assume that a lot of the things that we want to see happen or maybe that we fear happening, but things that will happen have already happened and we simply don't know it. I'm not saying that we can guarantee that or that we should expect that. I'm saying that we should understand the possibility of that and that if it is possible, then it is also real in certain circumstances. And so we need to be mindful of that as we attempt to understand the world and what is actually happening out there. I mentioned on Devolution Power Hour the other night, we are getting information now about certain world events, things that happen in Ukraine. For instance, the specific example was that last week in a meeting between Vladimir Putin and leaders of, I think, seven African nations, the delegation led by Cyril Ramaphosa, the president of South Africa, Putin held up documents showing that this is the negotiation. This is the deal we had in place a year ago, over a year ago that the Ukrainians had signed off on, we would have peace in this situation if not for the global regime continuing to push this war. He showed that to everyone. Now, that was new information to people, but it was new information about something that happened 15 months in the past. So knowing that information a week ago puts us at best in a 15-month informational past relative to that event. Now, there were other indicators of that event that we have already incorporated into conversation. So to someone like me or John or Burning Bright, that little piece of information doesn't really change our entire outlook on Ukraine or anything. But if someone got that information for the first time while having a blue and yellow Ukraine flag emoji in their Twitter profile, and they actually accepted and incorporated that piece of information immediately, well, they might jump a few months, six months, 15 months into an informational future relative to that event, catching them up toward the present with that new understanding. Oh, hey, there was a peace deal in place the entire time that the Ukrainians were willing to accept and we still went to this horrible war, sending hundreds of billions of dollars to a Nazi army with all this weird biomedical stuff and the human trafficking and the drug trafficking. We sent all this over there to protect all of that. And we did so based on this sovereign border of Ukraine, a country that other countries in this world don't even believe exists. We did that. Why did we do that? Well, it's because we were operating on a lot of the products of misinterpretations and we were living in an informational past. Now, I am probably going to have a lot more to say about this, and I am eventually going to release this piece of writing. But I feel like maybe a hundred minutes of that nonstop is probably enough for anyone. So let's leave it here right now. I might actually end up just having to take the day off on Monday. This was a lot more than I expected this to be. But assuming that's not the case, I assume there will be some news that comes up and I'll just do an episode on Monday. We'll just go with that for now. So I will be back Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, 
You can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble, and bit shoot. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofi. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range.
It's hell!